Well, good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Bridgewater. So glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Matt, and the joy of being the campus pastor here. And I just wanted to echo the words of David and just want to say a happy Memorial Day. And specifically, I just want to thank uh, those families who uh, lost loved ones to that fight for freedom. And just want to say that we recognize and acknowledge the sacrifice you and your families paid uh, on our behalf. And just want to say a thank you and happy Memorial Day. Give a round of applause. Uh, well, we are in week two of our series called Mirror Images, Broken Reflections of a Perfect God. And if you missed uh, last week, one of the things I said last week is that uh, you really had to listen to last week in order for the rest of the series to make sense. And so uh, if this is your first time uh, with us in this series, I need to make a bit of an apology that uh, I'm going to say you, you got to got to listen to what I have to say today, but then you're going to have to go on our podcast and listen to last week because uh, it really is built upon the conversation of last week around worldview and how we uh, view life and scripture and, and ultimately answer really, really important questions. So uh, if you haven't uh, had a chance to check those out, wherever you get your podcasts, through your phone, through the app, uh, online, you can get them through our website, bridgewater.church slash sermons. I'll go ahead and listen to those, encourage you to do that. But what we're looking at in this series uh, is really handling some of the most pressing issues of our day culturally and asking some really important questions about how do we as followers of God, as people who love God and love uh, his church, how do we answer these really, really important questions? And um, that is kind of the heart and goal of this series. Uh, but I want you to hear a piece of our heart in all of this is that as we approach this conversation, we don't want to uh, poke an eyes. We don't want to pick side. Like we're not trying to start fights. What we're trying to do is create a space where God's word has uh, an area and an openness to speak to us, to speak life to us, that we would uh, lean in in the voice of truth of God's word in a world full of mixed messages and opinions. Um, I also challenged you last week specifically on four key areas. And so I just want to remind you of those as we get into this week of four things. I want to challenge us all in uh, through this whole series to be learners, not judges. That when we come up against something that we don't understand or we don't know, uh, the call on us as responsible adults is to be learners, to lean in, to ask what we ask questions about what we don't know and not uh, cast judgment on predetermined opinions that we already carry. The second one is to develop a burden for people who sin or struggle differently than we might. And this is birthed out of the heart of our Savior. Because Jesus is, was not like us in his sin, and yet he moved towards us in love, grace, and compassion, which is our next one. To encourage us to have a posture to be that of compassion rather than disdain for people. That as we navigate life, we all have certain things that annoy us. We all have certain things that get us fired up. We all have certain things that really bother us. And that the heart of a maturing follower of God would be moved to a place of compassion for people who are different rather than disdain. And then lastly, to equip us to engage in the lives uh, in others' lives. That when you are asked these really important questions about life and, and how we handle them, you have answers that you feel confident in giving because you have spent time uh, for yourself uh, digging through God's word to answer them. That you don't answer because you heard it on TikTok or because you heard it on, news, on the news or you heard a friend say it. You believe it because you yourself had wrestled through these questions in a way that is helpful and beneficial uh, to those around you. So that was the challenge. The other challenge in that was to come every week um, so that you could hear the continuous thought. I can't answer every question all at once, and so we're going to have to walk through each of these. And every time I answer a question, I'm probably going to spark another question in you 
uh, which is good. That means we're learning to be learners. And so uh, we just need to continue to commit to uh, sitting in this series. And so thank you. Thanks for coming back. Um, I was nervous that after I gave the warning last week, I was going to have an empty building this week. Uh, so I appreciate your maturity. If you're here and you're uh, not a follower of God, one of the things we talked about last week is, is the big hinge point of this whole conversation is what type of worldview do we live with? Right? There are five key questions to our worldview about who am I, where did I come from. There's a few other ones that we must answer consistently and appropriately to determine how we answer other really important questions. So things like origin and existence and where do we come from, why am I here, why do I exist. How we answer those questions dramatically changes how we answer questions about the value of human life, about sexuality, and a whole host of other questions. And so we wrestled through that last week and we really laid before you kind of three fundamental truths that exist within uh, the Christian worldview that anchor how we answer these questions. And the first one, these were our points from last week, in case you missed them, here they were, that God is the source of life. That everything we know that lives and breathes in the earth that we know it and the universe, it found its very source in God. And so if God is the sole creator, he alone gets to determine how that creation works. He alone gets to determine the boundaries that are good and right for human flourishing. And that is a worldview that we hold solely based on scripture, which is our second point, that the Bible is authority for life. That when uh, there's things in my life that I want that the scriptures say, are out of bounds of God's good and right design, I have to choose as a follower of God to place God's word as authority in my life, not myself as authority over God's word. Right? And we use this idea of solo scripture and solo experience. For, for all of Christianity, basically, we have uh, determined truth by solo scripture. Scripture alone determines what is good and right and true. Up until recently, though, our culture has shifted to solo experience that my experience in life and what I experience to be true is a determiner of what I think is true in reality. And that is a dangerous position to be in because it replaces us as authority for life when really we have recognized last week we are a very small dot on the, cosm micro in the grand scheme of the universe. And this led to our third point, that while that is true and while we hold all truth in God's word, we must approach it with grace and truth because that is the approach of our Savior. That as we step into these conversations, while we hold the truth of God in his word, we must approach it with the same grace in which Jesus delivered it. And this whole series really hinges on this verse in Colossians 4, 16. Let your conversations, so let these talks or these weeks, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer Everyone, it is my heart and prayer that as we have these conversations, it will be full of grace and seasoned with salt. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. Genesis chapter 1. I said we'd be in Genesis 1 and 2 throughout this whole series. Again, I recommend to uh, go ahead and read through Genesis 1 and 2 on your own if you have a chance uh, to do that. We're just going to be in two verses of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then uh, we're going to lay before you kind of two key fundamental truths and then uh, a take-home application for us today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let's pause right there. God in his creation narrative is beginning to speak creation into existence. And we see the Trinity present here, like us make a man in our image, referring to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, present at creation, speaking life into man. We'll talk at length about that. But I want you to see something in the creative order here. 
When God placed man on earth and he designed man, there was an order to which he uh, placed creation, right? He, he made man over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He put man over animals. This is an incredibly important distinction because uh, as you listen to the narrative of culture around human life and value and dignity, there is a narrative that we are just uh, really mature apes, right? That we've just come through this biological uh, jumble that we just happen to evolutionarily land here. And that is exactly opposite of what scriptures would tell us. Scriptures would tell us that no, we are distinct and above animals, which is really important as we talk about some of our conversations in the next couple of weeks about our desires, that we are not purely animals. We are something else. Let's keep reading what that something else is in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you, don't have, if you haven't had the chance to read through the whole Genesis narrative, this, what you see here is that we, human beings, are the only creation that is created in the image of God. Nobody else is given this honor. And this is really just our first point for us this morning, that all people are made in the image of God. And you say, cool, that's a great sentence. What does that mean? All right, here's what this means. It means that we as creation have been given an imprint of the very nature of God himself, that we are uh, not animals, we are not God, we are something in between. Another way to say it is that we are reflections of who God is. And so every time uh, you think about looking in the mirror here, right, when I look in the mirror, I see a reflection of who I am. Now in the reflection, is that reflection really me? No, but it's like me. Does it have the same power as me? No, but it looks like me. And so when God spoke man into existence, he put on us a piece of himself, an imprint of his nature. And so here's where this is really important. When you and I look in the mirror and we look in the face of other people, what we see is an imprint and a reflection of the very creator himself. So you carry with you an image, a piece, a reflection of who God is. And, and if you're here and you're not yet a follower of God, you say, well, that's not true. It is true. <laughs> because over all of creation, regardless of whether we acknowledge it or not, you have in you the imprint of God, which means something incredibly significant for each of us here this morning. It means that the value that we have been attributed is not because of what we bring to the table. It's not because of our skills. It's not because of what we offer. It's not because of our ability to perform. And it's not based upon a set of standards that the world has put before us. The value put upon you was given by God himself when he looked at creation and said, you alone get the blessing of bearing part of me. You alone get the image of God on you. And so all human life is given intrinsic value because it is made in the image of God. Here's what we see again in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, why is this important? Because we live in this tension in our culture. And which I said it earlier, in one hand, we're told we're purely animals. Follow our desires. Do what we want. Just uh, obey those cravings. Okay. But then on the other side of culture, we're told the opposite. We're told that we're gods. We're told that we decide morality. We're told that nobody tells us what to do, that we alone are the determiner of what is good and right and true. So which one is it? Are we animals or are we gods? 
Well, the answer is actually neither. We are neither purely animals nor are we gods. We're something completely different. We are God's prized creation, given eternal souls and physical bodies, designed for eternal unity with him. Distinct blessing upon us. Which means, and this is our main point for today, and everything kind of hinges on this, so I want you to see this, which means that all human life is sacred. All human life is sacred, that regardless of where it is, what value we think it brings, it doesn't matter. All human life is sacred because it bears the image of God, because God deemed it valuable. But here's the great tragedy of human existence. God gave that blessing to man, and man immediately decided they wanted to not just be like God, but to be God. And so Satan in the garden, you read this in Genesis chapter 3, Satan in the garden came to Adam and Eve and said, God's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you to just be like him. He really is withholding you from being him, being greater than him, from usurping God's authority, which is the, the same temptation we all face when sin comes. Well, Adam and Eve fell to this, and ultimately it fractured the beauty that God had put in his creation. And so now when we look in the mirror, we don't see this perfect reflection of God's nature on us. What instead we see is a broken, imperfect reflection of the character of God. When you and I look at ourselves, we don't see us as God originally designed us to be perfect, free of pain, sorrow, and suffering. Instead, now we see ourselves through the brokenness of shame, through the, the pain and remorse of what we've done, we've done, through the regrets and sorrows. But not only does it impact how we view ourselves, it impacts how we view other people. Because now when you look at another individual, you don't see them as God's uh, son or daughter made in his image beautiful, we see them through the lens of the brokenness that sin has put upon their life. But here's the good news. God was unwilling to let his prized creation go down this path without redemption. So Genesis chapter 3, you see God put this plan in place to restore mankind. And this plan comes to pass in what we see written out in John chapter 3.16. John chapter 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Did you catch that? For God so loved the world that rebelled against him, that denied the good gift of him, that spit in his face and said, we want it our own way. He said, I feel that, I understand that. There's consequences for that, for the wages of sin is death. However, the love of God was so strong for his creation that he sent his son anyway that we wouldn't have to know that brokenness for eternity, but that we could be redeemed. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So get this. Not only do humans have intrinsic value because they bear the image of God on them, which gives them a distinct place in creation, they have a, a proved value because God sent his only son to rescue us. So not only is it proven there, but it's proven in action. Because here's what's true. Some of you saw my dog that ran away a while ago, okay? I love that dog. Unfortunately, the dog before like broke my heart to run away dogs. And so I was less compassionate towards her running away after all of my problems with my previous dog. But here's what was true of that situation with that dog. Here's what I would have never done to get her back. I would have never sacrificed one of my children to get her back. Why? Because she's a dog. Because she doesn't have an eternal soul upon her. 
Because as, as fun as she is and as obedient as she is most days, she does not bear the value of another human. And so I would, I would be proving her worth by saying, sorry, you're on your own, best luck in the wild. And yet that's not what God did with his creation. Why? Because they have distinct and intrinsic value. He was willing to sacrifice his son. In fact, he did sacrifice his son to rescue you and I from our brokenness, from our rebellion, from our waywardness. If you ever have a doubt about your value, you never have to look further than the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the answer to what God thinks about you. It is the answer to what God thinks about all life. What I want to do next is just, I want to lay before you some key implications of what all human life being sacred means and how it ought to impact and influence the way we see the world, the way we view other people, and the way ultimately we interact and behave around these ideas. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be kind of all over the place. I apologize. Um, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3 if, if you don't want to run around your Bible the whole time. Let me go ahead and write these down and read them uh, later for yourself. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. This verse really has huge implications for us as we uh, wrestle with this question. Let's go back uh, to the verse real quick. It has huge implications for us because what it's doing here is it's talking about a bunch of key distinguishing markers that as we are honest with ourselves in this room this morning, often determine and and affect the way we view other people. And so if you're not familiar with biblical language, when he says Jew or Gentile, he's really talking about two different races. And so he says, in the kingdom of God, there is the race is not of consequence, neither slave nor free, meaning social status is not of consequence, male or female, the gender you are is not of consequence. Now, here's what he's not saying. He is not saying that these differences don't exist. They, they very much do exist but they do not impact or determine the value of a life before Jesus. Do you get that? Neither Greek or neither Jew nor slave, or Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, none of those are markers that will affect or impact our standing in Christ, for we are all one in Christ. So let's talk about each one of these implicationally. If this is true and all human life is sacred, and Galatians chapter 3, 28 is true, here's what this means. This affects our beliefs and actions about race. This changes the conversation for the Christian around racism. Here, here's what I know to be true. Racism didn't start as a black and white problem. Is the black and white racism problem a problem? Yes, absolutely. But it ex racism existed long before black and white issues became black and white issues. For all of human history, racism has existed. Jew and Gentiles' hatred for each other was a racist religious hatred against one another. As I traveled around the world, I, I was just absolutely shocked that one of the first things I would learn when I would land in a country is who they were prejudiced against, right? Like I'd land in Taiwan and realize they're prejudiced against mainland. I'd land in Japan and realize they're prejudiced against Koreas. I landed in West Africa and realized the English-speaking West Africans are prejudiced against the, the French-speaking West Africans. Like on and on it went. Every country I went and I realized they were having racism issues with somebody else. And here's what I began to understand. Any difference that exists within humanity, sin and Satan will cause pride in our hearts to think that we are better than because we are different than. And so at the root of racism is an unwillingness to see that value is ascribed by God to all individuals because they bear the image of God. 
that it does not matter what color skin we have. It does not matter our ethnic background. It does not matter our social status. None of that matters in the kingdom of God because that is not what determines our worth or value. It's because they bear the image of God. And here's a tough word for us on racism this morning. There is no room for it in the kingdom of God. And here's why. Revelations chapter 7, verse 9. This is a, a picture that the Apostle John gets of heaven. So after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, heaven will be full of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So that means our churches, our homes, and our communities should be full of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Let's look at the next one. It says, there is neither slave nor free. This affects our beliefs and actions about our social status and slavery. Let me be honest here this morning. If you are in a neighborhood where you happen to have a little bit more, drive a little bit nicer car, be a little bit better off, and you're driving through a neighborhood where that's not true, how hard is it to not feel a little bit privileged in that moment? How hard is it to not feel a little bit like grateful that you're not? And what's interesting is you can climb into any car, into any environment, and we could all feel that at some level. And it's just human nature. It is just human nature in us to describe value or ascribe value to ourselves based on status. And that is not true in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5 said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. He talked at great lengths about how financial wealth was not a determiner of our worth. It also impacts how we view slavery. I don't know if you know this, but Supreme Court Justice John McLean was one of the only two no votes in the 7-2 Dred Scott decision in 1857 that declared that black slaves were not citizens of the United States. So there's only two people who opposed uh, this vote going through. And you want to know the reasoning behind one of the no votes? It was Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what he said. A slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker, and he is destined to an endless existence. The reason slavery came to an end was because a few Christians, or not a few, a bunch of Christians finally stood up and believed in Genesis 1.27 that all humans have dignity and worth and value. That no one is to be treated like that. And here's the great tragedy is, is in our world it's easy to think that this is a long gone problem. But do you know there's more slaves today than there ever has been? You know that sex trafficking is one of the largest and most aggressive forms of slavery that's in existence, that it is more profitable than the international cocaine market. And here's what breaks my heart. We live in a culture that's trying to celebrate sex workers and pornography and trying to celebrate this as a free movement. Do, do we not see that that movement is, is built upon sex trafficking? Do, do we not understand that that exists because we do not believe Genesis 1.27 as a culture. Because we do not believe that those, value, those individuals have value and said we use them as commodities. And yet in the twistedness of our culture, we're trying to celebrate this. We cannot. We cannot. 
if you're interested in fighting against this particular movement, there's three incredible organizations I would recommend to you. IJM, the International Justice Mission, does a great work in fighting against this exodus cry. Is another organization that does a, a, a fantastic job at trying to uh, fight human trafficking and then war, women at risk. Um, again, does just a, a great job fighting this. We, we must, as a church and as a people, not turn a blind eye to what is happening. Not over there, it's happening in our neighborhoods, in our communities. We must stand for it. Here's the next piece, verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither male nor female. This affects our beliefs about gender. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We're going to talk about this more in another week. But, but here's what I think we need to see at the baseline of this. When Paul was writing this and much of when Jesus was speaking, women were not given the value that, that they are deserved. It wasn't until really Jesus and Christianity came on the scene did women finally get the dignity and honor that they were deserving because they bear the image of God. Here's what I think we also need to see in our culture. Men and women, your value is not given to you because you have a partner. You are not worth something because you're in a relationship. You're not given dignity because you finally have a ring on it. You are given dignity and worth and value because you bear the image of God. Men, you bear the image of God apart from a woman. Women, you bear the image of God apart from a man. You have value. You do not need to try to drag it out of the people around us. God has already given it to you, which means we must treat the opposite gender with the same dignity, respect, and honor that God would. We must treat them with kindness and fairness, with honor and respect, not because they deserve it, but because God has given that value to them that we are to honor. Here's the next piece, and this isn't distinctly out of the verse, but as we're in this conversation, this also affects our belief about euthanasia. Euthanasia is a uh, movement that is really uh, rapidly taking off in Europe uh, quite aggressively, but it's, it's prevalent here in the States as well. I want to read a quote to you because I think myself personally, I was a little naive uh, to the realities of this issue in our day, and it, it was shocking to me as I read this. This is a, a quote from Katie Hopkins, a British journalist. We have far too many old people. It's ridiculous to be living in a country where we can put a dog to sleep but not people. When asked what she proposed doing, she said, easy, euthanasia vans, just like ice cream vans that would come to your home. They might even have a nice tune they'd play. It's hard to even read that quote to you, but I have to ask, how do we get there? We get there because we do not believe in the sacredness of human life. We get there by denying the fact that God has created all life on purpose for a purpose. We get there by denying the fact that all life has value. So here's uh, an extended statement of what I would say on this. All human life is sacred no matter how much of it is left. All human life is sacred no matter how much of it is left. Because human life is not, the value of human life is not determined by usefulness or convenience. It is determined by the image of God on the soul. And here's what I'm not saying. I know the end of life are incredibly difficult and complicated questions. I'm not talking about DNRs. I'm not talking about morphine drips. It's, it's not what I'm talking about. It's a conversation for another day. What I'm talking about is made loss, medical assisted and dying loss. In 10 states in America, you can now contract someone to kill you so that you don't have to go through the end of life. 
it is now legal to put a contract hit out in your own head. What is that? It's wrong. It's brokenness. Because we have misplaced value. And here's where it gets even worse. The whole euthanasia movement really is pushing that it's not just your right to die, or it's not just your uh, kind of right to die. It's, I'm saying this wrong. It's not only your right to die, but you should die. Is basically what they're saying. So to save your family money, you know what's not sacred? Money. You know what is sacred? Human life. Which leads us to our next one. This affects our belief and actions about abortion. Psalms chapter 139. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days you ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's word speaks the beginning of our life with extreme clarity that before birth there was life. Before birth there was the image of God given there was purpose given to babies. It breaks my heart as I listen to friends, and I have had many friends very recently recount to me story after story of them going into the doctors and the doctors saying, uh, hey, there's a genetic defect and you should abort the baby. And it's very, very early on, and they're wrestling with them like, what proof do you have? Well, there's this percent chance and this percent chance. And, and they, they're t- telling me these stories of heartbreak as they're wrestling with this decision of like, why, why am I being pressured to do this? And months later, out comes a, a perfectly healthy baby. And it just makes me ask the question of why. But here's what we need to get. Even if that child came out with some differences, it does not change the value of that life. If that child came out unique, it does not change the value of that child because value is not ascribed to usefulness and convenience. It is ascribed by the image of God. If you're here this morning and, and you have made a, that decision in your past, I'm not saying any of this to shame you. Maybe you've pushed somebody to make that decision. I'm not talking about this to shame you. I'm saying this because not many other people are. I want to lay before you the truth of God's word that all life is valued, no matter how much of it has been lived or has yet to be lived. If you're here, I want you to know that there is grace, forgiveness, and healing for you in that decision. But as a church, And as a follower of God, we must stand for the life of the unborn. Here's my last piece for us, and I'll close. This affects our belief and our actions about our enemies. Throughout this conversation, maybe I became your enemy. And so I hope you hear this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Friends, as followers of God, as we look around the world, there are real and perceived enemies. There are people who believe differently, think differently, act differently. There's people who have attacked us, people who have hurt us, people who have uh, just all around ruined our life. And here's how we have to view that person. To view that person through the lens of the cross the same way we have been called to view everybody else that they are somebody that Jesus died for. Romans tells us, for when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So not only does it impact all of these social issues out there that it's easy to get rah-rah about, it impacts how we deal with the unforgiveness in our heart. 
It impacts how we deal with broken relationships around us. It impacts how we deal with people who voted differently than us. Why? Because their value is not determined by things other than the image of God given to them. And God's heart for us is that we would value all people like he does. And so that's my question for us as we wrap up today. Do we value all people like God does? I say specifically on the abortion issue, church, we must value the life of the single mother as much as we value the life of the unborn. We must stand beside the orphan child as much as we're standing to support the, the, the uh, resource centers like CareNet and Life Choices Center. We must care for all life. Why? Because John chapter 3, 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. My heart in this conversation is that no one would feel condemned to this conversation, but the truth would be rescuing for you. That you would hear God's truth and ultimately it would lead us to the point of recognizing who God is, acknowledging his ways, and finding life and life abundant that he has called us to. John 10.10 says, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and life abundant. God is so pro-life in every life. Could we as a church stand with every life in that way? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. and God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness in our life. And we thank you that you sent Jesus to stand beside us, to walk this life, and to ultimately pay the price for us. God, I pray that you would give us the strength necessary to stand when it is unpopular, to hold hope when no one else is holding hope, and that we would fight for life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.